Welcome to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, the queer James Bond podcast. I'm Shane Holland. And I'm Andrew Wheeler. And in this episode, we're going back to the beginning again with Casino Royale. No, not that one. <laughs> we're traveling back to 1967 with the first official James Bond spoof film starring David Niven, Peter Sellers, and Ursula Andress. Beautiful women, high-tech gadgets, revolving beds, and sinking, sunken lounges. This film has it all and more than you could ever possibly want. (laughs) But, oh, before we get into it, Andrew, have you been up to anything very Sir James Bondy this week? (laughs) You know, I have been, uh, I've acquired a new gadget, which James Bond would love and Sir James Bond would hate. Um, (laughs) I uh, yeah I I accidentally set fire to my roommate's uh, toaster oven a little while back. Oh, so whoops! Uh, I bought a new toaster oven, but I decided to buy one that was also an air fryer, so that Ooh. I could uh, explore the wonders and joys of air frying things. So I've been playing around with that. Made some chicken wings in there. Yeah. Um, had had a go at making cookies in there, which is a little tricky because you have to cook <laughs> at a very low temperature, I think, to stop them burning on top. Um, but it's workable and it's a nice alternative to uh, to turn on the whole giant big oven to cook small batches of things so i'm saying i think it's a good investment i think i'll get a lot of use out of it i think i'll make a lot more chicken wings than i used to i can't wait to see <laughs> this gadget appear in james bond's flat in uh the next james bond right film, uh, because yeah <laughs> we haven't seen that in such a long time where we get to see new gadgets in james bond's home i'm clearly thinking of live and let die here in that beautiful espresso machine oh absolutely kitchen. absolutely <laughs> yeah, he's always been one to pick up the latest gadgets as james so i'm sure he would have an air fryer were he kicking around you know right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh james bond seemed to die a lot it turns out huh mm, yeah he does <laughs> uh what about you what's the jimmy bondiest thing you've done this week uh, well, I guess uh, the Jimmy Bondiest thing I've done this week is put myself at extreme risk and I went <laughs> to a concert. Uh, it was the first time I've been in a public setting like this in two years. Uh, and, you know, there was a lot of nerve wracking qualities about that. Uh We all obviously had our vaccine passports checked at the door and people were wearing masks while they were in line and waiting for their drinks. But I mean, once I actually got down to that dance floor, you know, all bets and masks were off and (laughs) kind of just had to trust the people around you. And, you know, we're we are, I guess, in the middle of what is this wave five now? Yeah, we're heading on to wave five. Five, uh, seven, somewhere. uh, Omicron, Omega, we're somewhere in that timeline. (laughs) Um, but yeah, you know what? I will say I had an amazing time. It was so good to hear live music and I I have missed being with people, like being out there and, you know, as dangerous as that still kind of is, it was so refreshing. Uh, and I'm saying everyone do things within your own personal limits. Don't (laughs) feel like you have to rush out there and, uh, do things that you think might put yourself uh, puts yourself in personal danger but I will say I really needed a release like that after a pretty shitty month before that and it Mm -hmm. felt great good for you thank you (laughs) now for every episode of kiss kiss bang bang we recommend a cocktail that matches the theme of the episode or maybe it's just matching our mood today and this week it's Andrew's turn to pick Andrew what have you got for us 
Well, it is unavoidably and inevitably Christmas time again. Um, oh, yes. And uh, I think this will be our only Christmas episode because we're on the three-week schedule now. Uh-huh. Um, and I was looking up a few different you know, drink ideas and I thought, well, what does David Niven, star of this movie, what does he like to drink? And came across a recipe for Hjördis Niven's Jörglug, which uh, is... <laughs> Excuse David- me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, did you have something in your throat? Uh, uh, take a sip of water and try that again. Jördis <laughs> uh, Niven's Jörglug. Uh, so David Niven's uh, wife, Jördis, was a Swedish uh, supermodel or model. It was pre-Naomi, so I think they just called them models back then. And uh, she, uh, yeah, very beautiful woman, looked like Sherilyn Fenn. And she was Swedish and she introduced him to all of her Christmas traditions. And of course, the, the Scandinavian countries have excellent Christmas traditions, one of which is Christmas wine or Yule Glog. Um, ah, of yes. So, uh, so yes, he actually gave an interview to uh, John Abin, who wrote a rather famous celebrity cookbook called Celebrity Cookbook, um, which <laughs> was published. Yes, a little bit. Uh, but, but was, I mean, I remember seeing it as a kid, like in my aunt and uncle's house. And like, it, I think it's, you can probably still find it in secondhand bookshops everywhere. Like, it was kind of an iconic book at the time. It was released same year as this movie, 1967. So, uh, this is a very on the nose. Uh, timing. It's Christmas. It's 1967. It's David Niven. Um, <laughs> yes, this was how he would celebrate Christmas. This and uh, a rice pudding recipe he provided, and also an anchovy potato bake, which he claimed was a Christmas dish. Who knows? In Sweden, things are different. Um, anchovy potato bake? <laughs> yes. That sounds like heaven. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I provided you with a link, and maybe I'll provide our listeners with a link as well. You can, you can research this yourself. Um, but his his wife here, this, she, uh, she made a a mulled wine as we would say um a a yulglug of port uh, a bottle of claret or sherry i used sherry in mine half a bottle of acrovit i used vodka which was oh the uh, the recommended alternative um, is this for like does this serve too andrew <laughs> <laughs> It's a uh, it's a mulled wine. You can't make a single serving. Um, you you heat that. You bring it to a simmer with some uh, cardamom, some cloves, some cinnamon, some orange peel. After it's simmered with the spices uh, for a little bit, you you throw in some figs or pears. I used some lovely black figs. Um, and then when you've done all that, uh, you you put some uh, some sugar cubes on top. You soak them in whiskey. You set them on fire and you let them oh. drip into the the glog uh, oh or glug. my god um so there is a Luxurious. lot going on a yeah. lot um it <laughs> is dangerous delicious da- dangerous delicious um, <laughs> as you can tell um, <laughs> in in the way that a spiked spiced hot wine on a cold day always is the spices are a really great balance giving a nice dryness to the the sweetness of the wine the fig makes it feel a bit, a bit more jammy and fruity i put cranberries in the recipe calls for raisins uh when you serve it it also calls for slivered almonds but i'm going to take this to a friend's uh great canadian baking show viewing party after we record this episode and and one of the friends there has an intolerance to almonds so no almonds in this version um but yes this was it's delightful it will give you that merry glow um and probably put you on your ass if you drink too many of them i had one glass and i feel just delightful <laughs> well it sounds as involved and overcomplicated as the film we are about to talk about <laughs> the, the nivens do nothing simply that's what i've learned <laughs> certainly <laughs> Casino Royale is too much for one James Bond. 
Orson Welles is the heaviest heavy of Smirch. Dahlia Lavi is James Bond. I'm the new secret weapon. That was a clip from the trailer for 1967's Casino Royale, a parody of James Bond starring David Niven, Peter Sellers, and Ursula Andress. The movie was directed by, wait for it, John <laughs> Huston, Ken Hughes, Robert Parrish, Joe McGrath, and Val Guest. Wow, that spells problems right there. Mm -hmm. From It's from a script by Wolf Mankiewicz, John Law, Michael Sayers, and many others, allegedly. It is... <laughs> technically based on the novel Casino Royale by Ian Fleming. Oof, very technically. Yeah. Um, yeah. The version of Casino Royale, this version is one of only two Bond movies made outside of the Eon shingle of Cubby and Barbara Broccoli, the other one being Never Say Never Again based on Thunderball, as the film rights to both those novels were acquired by other producers. And though the movie was a box office success, it had a troubled production that is very clearly reflected in the end result. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we will on that as we go through this recap and we'll begin right now in a brief pre-title sequence james bond peter sellers encounters inspector mathis in a public urinal in france the art deco credit sequence plays out over an original theme performed by herb alpert and the tijuana brass um yeah, I, I chose this song, I think, on our 2005 Casino Royale episode mm -hmm. was my, like, da, da, end da. credit music. Da, da, da. And I da, used da, da, to da, da, really da. enjoy it. <laughs> and after watching this film twice. Um, oh, God, I can't believe it. I, I oh, God. Uh, <laughs> it it has really outstayed its welcome like it is in this movie a lot and way too much overused now, like three times too many <laughs> right it's basically a trauma trigger for me at this point <laughs> <laughs> oh boy but i mean this film starts off pretty gay i must say uh, i guess the very first thing we see is les Beatles in graffiti uh mm -hmm. which appears uh scrawled in a public toilet which yes. i don't know just tickled me in the, a fun way on the wall um, of the pissoir Oh, yes, correct. <laughs> I guess that says a lot about how we were feeling about the Beatles, both in James Bond's world and this world. Apparently. But also, two men meeting in a public toilet? Mm -hmm. In my world, that's pretty gay. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was an indelibly gay moment to open the movie, which, I don't know, maybe raised my expectations the wrong, the wrong oh, way. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the first time you hear this song, you're like, oh, wow, it's so camp. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm kind of excited. This might be a fun film. <laughs> and then immediately I wrote, these credits are too much. Is there a monkey in the film? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Spoiler, yes. Yes, or a chimpanzee, I think, technically. Um, yes, uh, the credits immediately set up warning signs when you see five credited directors, as you listed uh, in the intro. Like, that was, that was a threat, I thought, just yeah. straight away. <laughs> That's daring the audience to like this film. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, it's, it's a very weird opening because all, you, you get to see all of the cast or a lot of the cast dressed as angels. And it's like, why, why is that? And it does make sense about two hours later, you find out why they're dressed as angels, but does it make sense, Andrew? No, not really. <laughs> um, and then as the credits unfurl, it's just extraordinary list of people's names. Like uh, people I forgot were in this movie. Like Orson Welles is in this Orson movie. Orson Welles is in this movie. I saw that in the credits and I was still shocked that he actually <laughs> showed up in the film. Right? 
John Huston <laughs> not only is one of the directors, but is also one of the actors in the movie. Um, <laughs> Nicholas Rogue, the, the enfant terrible of British cinema, he's like the assistant DP on this film. Burt Bacharach's name shows up. Dusty Springfield's name shows up. It's, like, it's just I, I should have been more excited when I saw Burt Bacharach <laughs> in that long list of people. Let's uh, let's see what let us fail down. Um, so somewhere in the British countryside, the heads of MI5, the KGB, the CIA, and Deuxième Bureau convene to pay a visit to retired spy Sir James Bond, played by David Niven. Oh boy, uh, this this starts off right away, and you can feel we're in <laughs> trouble. Uh, the way that they're talking about James Bond as if he's a legend and the world-renowned retired. Super secret spy. I, I was instantly worried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the the big conceit of this movie is that the uh, there was a James Bond before the one that we know in the movies, uh, the Eon movies. Basically, Sean Connery is the only person to have played him at this point on the big screen. Um, and so the conceit here is that before Sean Connery, there was this restrained proper uh, spy gent played by David Niven, who is now retired and has a knighthood, um, and he very much frowns on all of the sex and the gadget that Sean Connery's Bond is getting up to. So Sean Connery's Bond in theory exists in this world but is completely AWOL, is never seen, is sort of just hand-waved away. You would think that means that this movie then is going to sort of take a high-minded approach to the sex and gadgetry of Bond. No, sir. No, no. no. It is It is not going to do that. This is, this is a sex comedy, as we will uh, very quickly learn. Not a subtle <laughs> one. Um, speaking of not subtle, uh, um, animal cruelty is going to be a major theme in this movie as well. Yes. Uh, first of all, as these uh three as these four uh heads of secret service convene they hop in this car and i swear to god they nearly ran over an entire flock of sheep <laughs> bolting out of there uh they're talking about i'm <laughs> sorry as they drive in there are just lions not like a lion there are no lions on this Many. estate Many lions. There is a lion riding on top of the car at one point. I was shocked. Yeah, I don't know where they filmed this. Like, I, I, we did, you know, there are lions in the UK. I think most of the, much of this was filmed in Ireland, though. And I don't know. I mean, maybe there's a... Maybe there was a a, a, a lion a safari. Lion sanctuary safari, right? Of course, not a sanctuary. Oh, not a sanctuary. Oh, my dear boy, no. <laughs> <laughs> a poaching safari. Come shoot a lion in the Irish hillsides. Very possible. Like I know, as a kid, which was not the sixties, uh, that there were there were places like Port Liam and Hyde where I could go and see lions. So. Oh, and you could do the same thing here. African Lion Safari yeah. is a huge draw still, I'm sure, to this day. Yeah. So it is, in fact, John Huston, the director, playing uh, M in this scene. Um, I wrote, this is M. <laughs> John Huston, I think, is an American. He sounds sort of Scottish, sort of Welsh. He was living in Ireland, so who knows what's going on. Apparently, his daughter, the great Angelica Huston, is somewhere in this movie, but like as a oh. hand double. So oh. you what? don't get to really? see her. Yeah. <laughs> the amazing, beautiful Angelica Houston <laughs> in this movie filled with gorgeous women just doing nothing is not in this? I mean, I think she may actually have been like 15 or 16 at the time. Oh, so, oh which, okay. well, honestly, in this film would not have would have happened that would not have stopped anyone <laughs> maybe john houston himself was like you know what i'm not against uh, selling 16 year olds for sex but not my not daughter. my daughter yeah 
Uh, first sign that this movie doesn't know what it's talking about is that M is the head of MI5 in this movie and not MI6. MI6, of course. Yes, very odd. Uh, and talk about Bond. Uh, one of the greatest introductions to the character ever. The true, the original, the one and only James Bond. And we cut to fucking David Niven in the <laughs> turban. All Bonds are colonial artifacts. I mean, that's just something we have to accept. That's um, the truth, yes. <laughs> and, and Niven, of course, was Fleming's first choice to play James Bond. He was the man Imagine. that Fleming wanted for the role and would have cast at the time that Sean Connery was cast, which is not many years before this movie came out. So Niven would have been old as hell playing James ah. Bond. It would have been wow. very different. And I think, I, I, you know, Fleming came around to, to Connery and eventually made Bond half Scottish because of Connery. So... I think the right decision was made. I think Niven would not have oh, been. Yeah, I don't if think we would have an enduring any indicate. If this was any indication of what his performance would have been like, <laughs> we would not have this podcast today. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm hoping this is how Niven plays it as a comedy and not how he would have played it straight. But who knows? I, I kind of hope the opposite. Even though that would have been the death of the films. Right. I mean, imagine Doctor No with David Niven as oh. this Sir James Bond character. <laughs> So the intelligence heads ask for Sir James's help taking down Smersh, the criminal organization that has been killing their agents. Hey, they got that right. <laughs> Sir James ridicules the current state of intelligence and refuses to come out of retirement. Yeah, I, I don't know if you'll be learning the plot for the first time doing this uh, episode, Shane, because God knows watching the movie doesn't tell you very much. No. <laughs> I've complained about writing these recaps before. This was absolutely one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Is try I mean... I give through you this movie. real snaps on that one. You have <sighs> really distilled this to something legible. <laughs> yeah, please, listeners, if you listen to this podcast and think, oh, well, it does sound quite interesting based on the storyline. No. It is not. No, no. <laughs> Run. We, we'll save you the two hours. Like, we watched No Time to Die no less than three times. Mm -hmm. That nine hours, I could do again. This two hours and ten minutes, I'm shuddering at the thought. <laughs> oh, it was it was a lot. Um, so yes, this James Bond, played by David Niven, is very down on uh, the gadgetry, etc. He says uh, he, he describes the current Bond, the Connery Bond, as a, a sexual acrobat who leaves a trail of beautiful dead women like blown roses behind him, which I Accurate. thought was rather an elegant and and beautiful way of putting it. Um, Absolutely, that would work in a Bond film if it were said by like M yeah. or the villain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he also re refers to and dismisses all these intelligence heads as joke shop spies, calls them all out for having gadgets on their person, and describes the life of a spy as a priesthood, which is an idea that we've seen explored through Bond before. It's true. Um, I love his housekeeper, Woodhouse, from the TV series <laughs> Archer. Right? Uh, <laughs> like, literally lifted as if... I, I mean, I'm sure that someone in that writer's room knew that they were doing that because it is I so think. accurate. And I I do love the introduction of the head of the CIA, JCC Class G, SIC2, SICCT, CIA in Washington, D.C. <laughs> the stutter. We have to talk about the stutter. Right? But but how? I mean, well, it's yeah. so perplexing. Like, he has a stutter in this scene. He doesn't have a stutter in subsequent scenes and he ref he mentions he mentions not losing it stuttering yes <laughs> as if he made a choice in the first days of filming and then said you know what this is this is too difficult to carry on let's just someone write me a line that excuses this <laughs> <laughs> which from the looks of it is wh what happened in production 
Maybe. I mean, who knows in what order they shot anything. Certainly they... I mean, actually this, I would think, would be one of the last things shot because they added a framing sequence when they lost Sellers. And we will get into all of that. Oh, but yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, this must have been filmed later um, and huh. added in. So it's very confusing. Does he have the stutter in Scotland? I can't even remember. I feel like he has it in the first Scotland scene and then he kind of loses it when he meets Miss Moneypenny and mentions it then. Yeah. Uh, so maybe maybe it's like it was meant to represent his confidence, but he doesn't seem like he's a person lacking in confidence in retirement. So I No, so I wrote what a ponce. <laughs> <laughs> I also wrote my body is rejecting this movie at around the same time. <laughs> Yikes. Um, I mean there are this is I have a, such a weird relationship with this movie, having seen this movie two, three times. Do, you know, twice properly and then a third time on fast forward mm-hmm. because there are bits of it that i like bits of it yeah. that i even love yes there's some really good things in here like most of these stupid films but right and, and we will get to those um yeah. but, but they are not here <laughs> yeah it's bad but well no in this scene there is some great writing like the bit with the the black rose where he's talking about oh, you know the yeah. black rose to him is better than an aston martin and it's like oh that's that's an elegant little note that's, that's... And there's some also real great joke writing in here when they all put mm-hmm. their hands together over that black rose for the peoples of the world. <laughs> and the Russian guy goes, for the glorious sake of the socialist revolution and no one like bats an eyelash. Love yep. that. That's great. <laughs> uh, he's the, the same character who complains about he doesn't want to be devoured by symbols of monarchy when he sees the lions. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a good line. Right, yeah, that is good. It's smart. <laughs> and I love how they kind of connect James Bond and the Mata Hari as if they lived in the same world. I mean, it's yeah. a hilariously dark story about how they <laughs> fell in love as he's delivering her to the executioner. Right. <laughs> yes. I mean, how he managed to impregnate her in that very short time, I'm not sure because he did. And <laughs> and she had a child. <laughs> but okay. But yeah, there is like a sort of a, a wistful romantic note to the idea of this Bond Matahari romance, but also it's kind of exploiting a real person's death from, you know, a generation earlier. Um, and Matahari, yeah, not that long ago. These people you know, actually would have existed at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a little dark. <laughs> yeah, a little. <laughs> Speaking of dark, M, the head of MI5, orders the destruction of Sir James's home, forcibly ending his retirement. M is killed in the attack. Uh, citation Wait. needed. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> so... <laughs> First of all, when did M die exactly? Because it is not shown on screen. <laughs> no. I don't know why they couldn't have shown it, because it's not like John Huston was mad at them for making this movie. He's making the movie. Um, so it's very strange that just literally between scenes, the character dies. Also, like, why did they choose this tactic of blowing up his home? Like, that, that doesn't endear someone to work for you. <laughs> no, certainly not. And they were ready to do it. Like, they knew right. that this was what was going to happen. Um, But also, did they blow up an actual chateau? <laughs> that looked so expensive. I'm guessing it was a model, because there's a lot of model work in this movie. But usually oh. you can tell. Um, they're not great models usually no <laughs> uh, I guess with a chateau the people know how to build tiny houses and they don't move well, so maybe that was easier to do I guess so it looked great that was a good explosion compared <laughs> to what we will see later in the film oh god <laughs> now alarmed at news of Sir James's return to the field Smersh decides to destroy his squeaky clean image 
Sir James visits M's widow, the Lady Fiona, to offer condolences, unaware that she has been replaced by the Smirch agent, Mimi. Um, I will say we only get to see a brief glimpse of Smirch headquarters there, but it looks really great. Oh, oh it's my God. so it, 60s. It, it, lair straight out of Star Trek. It's beautiful. <laughs> uh, so many sunken lounges in this film, mm. and this is the first one, and I am all for it, for that space age design. Absolutely. Sunken lounges and, and knee-length boots and miniskirts. It's all Trend it's all alert, stuff. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the rest of this section, though, is torture. I mean, thank God there are some incidental hotties scattered through the McTarry <laughs> estate, all these yes. burly ginger uh, men in kilts, because otherwise, oh, I would, I would, I, I cannot imagine, well, I think this scene is why I never saw this movie, because I wasn't sure if I'd seen this movie before uh, watching it this time, because I knew I'd seen this section of the movie, and I think this is where I bailed out in the past. Yeah, I can understand. <laughs> it is interminably long. Uh, it is like a rehash of the same joke over and over again. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's only one thing that I actually laughed out loud at, at the very beginning of this section, where they <laughs> reveal the only surviving piece of M was his toupee sorry mm-hmm. the hair loom i mean mm. that that was good <laughs> it was funny yeah um uh we get this weird speech about the gray piper who informs the mctarries of of death like an omen of death and it's like that's a weird and interesting idea nope no it's a cul-de-sac it's not going anywhere this movie is just yep it's all been written on post-it notes that were then shuffled around and uh, half of them were thrown out like it's so strange scene ends with like some real animal cruelty which was mm. disturbing to watch yes a goat carried through the the castle uh tied up by its legs and just yeah just bleating in in utter panic it was horrible oh yeah yeah i, I mean god i thank god they're like animal laws on these films now because yeah watching this today like oh really really disturbing yeah and it's just uh, a joke. It's a throwaway gag. They did it for like a walkthrough. And that animal is just crying so hard. Yeah. So in the next scene, several red-headed Smirsh agents masquerading as M's daughters attempt to seduce Sir James, but all of them fail. I mean, first of all, the fanti- fantasy that all of these Scottish lasses <laughs> are into Sir David Niven was laughable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's 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 very Roger Moore. I mean, a, a mm. lot of th- this movie presages Roger Moore in many ways. I feel yes. like <laughs> it presages a lot. Like uh, also George Lazenby, yeah, and, uh, and of we'll course Austin Powers. Um, Ooh, I, I was not expecting how much overlap there was going to be there. <laughs> I should have known, right? It's it's strange. Um, the yes, you, you, I could hear the scare quotes around you saying Scottish lasses there because <laughs> the accents are eclectic to say the least here. I mean, yeah, where are they from? If not London or America or yeah. London. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of weirdness. I mean, it's a 60s sex comedy, so the attitudes to sex are, of course, deeply strange. And in this case, we are being told that all of these uh, beautiful redheads are teenagers. They're also sexually interested in their own father, it seems Ooh. to be. The implication of incest in this film, like from here to the end, 
it's disgusting. <laughs> I'm testing the temperature of the water as I always did for daddy. Yeah, <laughs> it's horrifying. Very weird. We do get a, another little queer note here, though, um, which one of the girls says to McNi- to McNiven, to Niven, <laughs> uh, daddy only liked the lasses, to which he replies, your daddy really was a different man in Whitehall. Um, <laughs> which was one of the better gay jokes in a, a yes. movie that is otherwise blatantly homophobic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very. Sir James attends a grand feast in M's honor. Sir James drugs the alcohol to avoid further attempts on his virtue, but Mimi comes to his room in the night and throws herself at him. He rejects her as well. I might be making up the thing about Sir James drugging the alcohol. I honestly couldn't tell, even on like a I, second watch through. Like so unsure of what was <laughs> happening there. Was it just like really strong whiskey? Is that th- what they were trying to say? And David Niven is pops an Alka-Seltzer into his so he can, I don't know. It was so confusing. I'm really trying to make sense of what I saw here. This movie does have funny ideas about how Alka-Seltzers work, so maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's the case. Uh, yeah, I wrote, I, are they drunk or poisoned? He And Bond just walk, waltzes out of there without a care in the world. It's, it's so horrifying. Yeah, it's a I real mean, Game of Thrones level <laughs> funeral, actually. Uh, and like Game of Thrones, there is some really unsavory uh, reference to sexual assault. That, yeah. like is played for laughs. And yeah, I just, yeah, I don't know what we were doing in the 60s. I don't know what we thought was funny back then, but uh, these, these jokes are not landing now. No, 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 no. <laughs> so when Mimi enters his room at night, uh, I love, first of all, that you can just see a man standing in the bedroom mirror, um, like off, supposed to be off screen, but definitely a flub. It's just a man <laughs> in a fedora and a suit watching the action happen. Um, and I also wrote that finally, an age-appropriate relationship for James Bond. Yeah, we won't see this again <laughs> until Monica Bellucci. So That's right. <laughs> so Mimi, rejected by Bond, calls on her guardsmen to defend her honour. One by one, they injure themselves until only one man is left, who Sir James easily defeats. Mimi is so impressed that she immediately falls in love. I think David Niven wassled a couple men in his day. <laughs> Am I right? I mean, very probably. Um, <laughs> didn't we all? Oh, wait, no, we, we definitely oh, did. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't tell what wassling is it wrestling is it was sailing like it it was neither of these things it was throwing large like those those highland games stones around maybe that's called wrestling i don't know i'm not doing research this movie doesn't deserve no no certainly not (laughs) i could not look into it i i just assumed it was a thing or maybe just a bastardization of language that you're just (laughs) going to let slide mimi falling for bond does feel like a genuine bond moment and a genuine bond satire because of course it's you know, women fall for Bond at the first sign of masculine strength. But I didn't get the sense that this movie was hol- holding women's autonomy up to any kind of higher <laughs> regard than an actual Bond movie. It's not, no, it's not no. really a feminist triumph, this film. I um, mean, he rejects them. <laughs> and when he rejects women, they have to go into the nunnery. So yes. <laughs> it, I don't know if that's necessarily feminist. You know what I mean? Yes. It's it's satire, <laughs> but not from a more female-friendly perspective, let's say. Um, I do love Mimi's jazz trumpet as she's uh, <laughs> calling on her Scottish protectors. Yes, and I do enjoy her Scottish protectors. I mean, we have some, oh. some very burly uh, gentlemen here, which I enjoyed, you know. Yeah, I, these boys <laughs> are ready to go, you know. <laughs> I, so, gentlemen, which of you is up first? Lift your kilts and let's see. 
the daughters attempt to assassinate Sir James at a grouse shoot with a drone. A drone in 1967. <laughs> I keep forgetting that these things have existed in the imagination for so long. Right? <laughs> Mimi rushes to his side and helps save his life. Still unable to seduce him, she chooses to retire to a convent. I'm sorry I spoiled that plot point, but... I, who cares? <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> this was the the moment that I realized, oh, drones are just remote controlled planes. I, like we think yeah. of them as this like new idea, and it's like no, they're just we've kind of had remote controlled planes for a long time. So yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm really surprised that Moonraker didn't lift the homing grouse idea. It would have been a great moment in another like really campy film. Yeah, you could edit this scene right in there. It would have fit absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and all of these scenes are two minutes too long, at least. Oh, at least. Yeah, this this scene dragged. Uh, so let's move on. Uh, Sir yep. James drives to London, pursued by more assassins. They fail to hit their target and die in a fiery crash. And uh, this scene you could have cut entirely, but you would have oh, lost yeah. one awesome-looking, cool racer chick uh, who oh, deserved yeah. much better than to die in a huge explosion. Uh, really cute Jaguar she's driving around. Mm-hmm. Um, the dairy truck, it feels like for your eyes only, stole yes. that idea from yes. this film. So Roger Moore eventually did take something from this. Uh, <laughs> and somehow women are even more disposable in this film than most Bond films of this era, which is confusing. Yes, right? It's, yeah, again, do not look to this movie to be mocking or, or ridiculing uh, the anti-feminism of, of Bond, the misogyny of Bond. It's really just signed right up for it. Leaning in, yeah. <laughs> um, and we get some more toy cars here. The miniatures are really crappy, but probably cutting edge for the time. Who knows? Uh, sure, let's say that it is. <laughs> Sir James takes over the role of M, assisted by Miss Moneypenny's daughter, Miss Moneypenny. Miss Moneypenny here is played by Barbara Boucher, who is radiant, um, not to be confused by Carol Bouquet or Barbara Bach, other great (laughs) Bond actresses. Uh, I don't think I've seen Barbara Boucher in anything else, but I thought she was great. Oh yeah, she was a standout, I would say. A lot of the women in this movie stand like above and beyond their male counterparts i must Absolutely. say they're doing great work um i will say when she said actually i'm miss Moneypenny's daughter i was eye rolling <laughs> very hard but it was very funny <laughs> yes they couldn't have a money penny who was age equal to niven of course not that would be disgusting so oh, ooh, gross <laughs> don't even talk about it such women do not exist they have been chased out of society <laughs> we're introduced to M's assistant here Hadley who might mm-hmm. be the most British person who's ever lived uh, for British listeners of a certain age uh, that he's played by Derek Nimmo who was uh, one of the many great British comedy actors um, of of the 60s 70s 80s um, that we all grew up watching on the BBC and ITV he played a vicar in some sitcom or other um so yes he was a familiar face but not the last by any stretch and this is where we learned that Miss Moneypenny the original had to run off to a, a nunnery after having sex with David Niven uh which you know once again it's a gag it's kind of also a pretty funny detail I will admit <laughs> Now, in a brief interlude during this section, we meet Sir James's nephew, American agent Jimmy Bond, who just barely escapes death by firing squad. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, this is where we have to say this movie stars Woody Allen. Uh, he is playing Jimmy Bond, and uh, it is not fun watching Woody Allen in movies. 
It's an oof from me. It's an oof from me. <laughs> yeah. That's a double oof uh, for Woody Allen. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> it's like, I saw his face and I was immediately like, oh boy, th- we're going to have to do this for a little while longer, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Noting that most agents meet their demise in the company of women, Sir James decides he needs to train his agents to resist seduction. Moneypenny identifies an auxiliary recruit named Cooper as the first subject of this training. In order to confuse the enemy, all agents are now designated as James Bond 007. Also to confuse the audience. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the next queerest thing in this film is all of the agents getting offed in bathhouses. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, the implication is that they're all offed by women, but, um, yeah, maybe, maybe that's not the case. Um, more gay spies, I think, would be the solution to all of these dangerous women that, that, uh, oh, that this is so true. Sir James is so worried about. <laughs> uh, I felt really bad for, uh, the woman having to kiss slash audition all of these horrible men. The, what, Barbara Boucher, Money yes. Penny. Um, Thank you. Uh, Cooper, the man that she settles on, not handsome enough, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. Um, oh, agreed. I think he was, he, like, he's one of many people who was up for the role of Bond at some point. So, yeah. you know, his career could have gone in a different direction. I think he was even considered as Bond for this movie, and that's why he was on contract. Um, huh. and I guess he does play Bond in this movie. I mean, everyone does by the end of it. So, um, which is, a very weird choice because looking backwards, it feels like, oh, everyone is James Bond 007 because, of course, the role has been recast so many times and they never explain it. But that hadn't happened yet. I, um, I So I have to wonder. This movie came out in 1967. <laughs> yeah. uh, you Only Live Twice came out in 1967 or 8? 67. Eight. 67. Or, I think. Oh, so <laughs> I wonder if it was already in the news that Sean Connery had quit and maybe, maybe they were kind of playing on that, but if they were released so close to each other, that that's a huge stretch on my part. Um, I mean, not that this film was, you know, carefully crafted. You know, no. it was, they could have shot this in a weekend. That's, they, I, they very well did, Andrew. They very well did. Uh, yeah, at this point, I was already so confused. I I did not catch that point that they were renaming all of the agents 007 so like (laughs) a lot of this was a haze of like but wait wasn't that american looking man 007 and wasn't that actual american monster 007 and who's peter (laughs) sellers and wait the detainer is 007 as well i was just an absolute wreck it's weird and and it's not uh, and again the other possible explanation that you might have is oh well peter sellers uh, dropped out of the movie, so maybe that's when they decided to make everyone 007. Or, or was fired. Oh, well, yeah. yes. A little of both. Um, and uh, uh, But no, because even in the Sellers uh, scenes, it's clear that he is just assuming the identity of 007 and that there are other 007s, and so this was the central conceit of the movie from the beginning. Um, and in fact, it was... This, this movie went through many drafts, and at one point was going to be a, a, a serious film, and that conceit was in the serious version of the script, apparently. So, boy, and that's so funny that that is now a very common theory. Yeah, uh, among James Bond fans, uh, I wonder if the theory stems from this movie, and people have forgotten about this movie so much that they have just applied <laughs> it to the franchise. Maybe, yeah. It's it's confusing as all heck. This film sure. raises more questions than answers. <laughs> <laughs> 
Cooper undergoes resistance training in a gymnasium full of beautiful women. He encounters an agent who introduces herself as a new secret weapon, also known as the Detainer. Why is she called that? I don't know. When is she called that? I don't think she is, but it's in the credits, and we don't have any other name to distinguish her by. Uh, but <laughs> it also might be the best role in the shitty movie, so I'm not going to question this one thing. <laughs> That's true. I mean, honestly, uh, Dahlia Lavi plays the detainer, and she is uh, beautiful, she's funny, she's effervescent. Like, oh, I mean, effortless. Like, really... I, I stand Dahlia Lavi for sure. Yeah, I think we she both was phenomenal. <laughs> and however, dark... This uh, in in plenty in this scene. The new Bond is just throwing women to the floor as they try to seduce him, which mm-hmm. ugh, was gross. And also, like, we get Yellowface and a, a very racist joke name in the character of Tingling, mm-hmm. uh, which you know just makes my skin crawl a little. A lot. Yeah, you could see that they're trying to, you know, this is one of the many places where they're riffing on the absurdity of, of Bond uh, women. Um, and I wonder if, if you look around that gymnasium, if some of the costumes in there were direct references to specific Bond women. I wasn't going to slow down long enough to, to check. But we do get a lot of great costumes, a lot of mm-hmm. beautiful women. Like, it, I loved the conceptual, uh, like, dressing of this scene i thought it looked great i did also wonder if at one point he he says is that shirley or is that you shirley or refers to someone as shirley and it turns <laughs> out is he referring to the the detainer he might be because she kind of looks like shirley bassey from a distance she does you know? oh she, interesting i i missed that i was like what is what is that joke about right that, that makes um, total sense though it may also just be that the woman standing in front of the detainer was Shirley, but no, I, I choose to believe it was a reference to the great Shirley Bassey. Let's go with that. <laughs> so, Sir James recruits millionaire businesswoman and retired spy Vesper Lind to join his cause. Oh, and finally, uh, <laughs> 45 minutes into this movie, a ray of sunshine, Ursula right. Andress as Vesper Lind, who apparently was not eaten by a shark. <laughs> Uh, good for her. No, it, it was her submarine. <laughs> right, um, yes. <laughs> I like that. That was a good bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, this this is one of the weird things about this movie is that it does use like a, a, more of Casino Royale than I ever imagined it would use. Yeah. Including having, you know, the character of Vesper Lind uh, in it at all bears no resemblance to the book version, to the version we've come to know from uh, Ava Green. Um, but is still a pretty phenomenal character. And we're introduced to her, Ursula Andress, of course, already a great Bond woman, uh, wearing this amazing pink ensemble giant feathers on her turban bejeweled in silver and diamond she's so stunning she's so beautiful um he asks her if she always wears this outfit uh to work and she says if i wore it in the street people might stare Um, (laughs) and then she goes to change into her second outfit and it's like also (laughs) incredible this gold robe with white fur and white gloves she a fashion icon Vesper returns to the field to seduce a man named Evelyn Tremble, an expert in Baccarat. They spend the night together at Evelyn's Mayfair apartment and play dress-up. They certainly do. <laughs> yeah, there's, ooh, there's a lot. This is a long sequence. Well, actually, it isn't that long, because Peter Sellers, who plays Evelyn Tremble, and is, in theory, the star of this film, but is showing up now 45 minutes in, apart from that pre-title sample this scene feels very long but but peter sellers is barely in this movie at all um uh, so it just feels long because it's awful uh, <laughs> there's there's some nice moments maybe 
Yeah, I, I okay. Like this is perhaps the bondiest scene so far. Like True. this this seduction in the sunken lounge, and then the lounge sinks further, which surprised Love me. It. Love that. <laughs> Definitely want that in my house if I ever had a house. <laughs> uh, Vesper taking photos of Evelyn, and he's like modeling like a little sixty strumpet, and I love that. And I had no idea that that scene and the whole revolving bed from Austin Powers was like a direct nod, almost word for word. Peter Sellers could have gone, do I make you Randy, baby? And I would have believed it. Yes. Um, In fact, the the very fact that Evelyn uh, Tremble is styled looking more like Michael Caine as Harry Palmer (laughs) uh, than like James Bond is sort of, that felt like it must be a reference because Harry Palmer, the Ipcrest file was only a few years old at this point. And but which reminded me we need to put the Ipcrest file on our list of movies to cover because it's very influential to the sort of the the anti-bond oeuvre of spy movies oh um, i've never seen it i've heard all about it but i yeah let's we should do this in the near future because i th- yeah. need more michael Caine in my life i do love the the line when she when she says evelyn isn't that a girl's name no it's mine um, <laughs> oh there's a good couple one-liners in here i should think you're frightfully synchronized mr tremble uh, <laughs> and uh, england expects every man to do his duty was also pretty good <laughs> and we get another queer reference when uh, they're doing this dress-up scene in the bedroom in the revolving bed and he pops out from behind a mirror and the the caption on my tv said lisping hello sailor <laughs> and i said wow i suddenly feel seen by the <laughs> yeah the, these these are the jokes that people complain oh you just can't tell jokes like this anymore and you know what good they're yeah, not good jokes. They're not they're good jokes. jokes. They're really Tell shitty jokes. <laughs> like, what is the joke? And then we get to, I mean, we have to say it, he dresses up as Hitler. Uh, yeah, he dresses up as Hitler. I didn't even know how to respond to that. I was just kind of shocked at how comedically it was played, but yeah. so, but in such a tone-deaf way. Like, he he also dresses up as, like, Toulouse-Lautrec and Napoleon, and it's like, I, I don't know, maybe all of these were funny conceptually just objectively at this time i i don't know it was honestly it was a jaw-dropping moment like i was not expecting it you would never do it now no i hope well i mean jojo rabbit was pretty pop yeah but jojo rabbit was <laughs> satirizing hitler yeah, this yeah, is right. this is not this is no. like presenting hitler as a, a comedic an option character. in a sex game yeah yeah oh yikes yeah like it's so I, I don't know yeah i like you i didn't know what to say but we have to observe that it happened <laughs> uh before we move on, I mean, her white gown, uh, sorry, her, Ursula's white gown with pink mm-hmm. sash and lining and those feathered sleeves, uh, and she's just throwing rose petals and feathers into the air. I mean, that's like the most 60s part of this movie, I must say. We we also cannot move on from the scene without mentioning that this is where we get Dusty Springfield singing The Look oh, of Love. My first note, I totally forgot about it. The Look of Love. What an uh, incredible song in such a terrible film. Right? <laughs> I didn't know that that song like originated with this movie. Like That's where it's from. It was Academy Award nominated for debuting in this movie. And it's like, well, the song this has... This movie nearly won an Academy Award. <laughs> Let, think about turn that around in your head for a minute yeah the, the, the bar for the best song is set in a weird place i mean no this is a phenomenal song like it has yeah. endured culturally in a way that the movie has not so um thank you Bert Bacharach. thank you dusty springfield uh, no thank you casino royale 
Vesper tells Evelyn that she wants to bankroll him to take on and bankrupt a gambler named Le Chiffre. And I only kept this as a separate note from all the others just because I wanted to note that 55 minutes in we get to the plot of Casino Royale. And the ba- <laughs> and the backstory is actually the backstory for Le Chiffre in Casino Royale. I was shocked yeah. that like that detail is the only thing that made it through. Honestly, you have to imagine that one of the writers read the casino part like just those three chapters with le chiffre and the casino royale and that's where they went from there you know i think yeah (laughs) this is yes this is such an unexpected movie in so many ways and so many of them are not good um (laughs) but the presence of actual casino royale was sort of a relief in a way it was like oh okay i know where i am with this (laughs) finally some ground to land on Going vastly in the other direction, Evelyn is given the name James <laughs> Bond and inducted into MI5 by Q and his assistants, Fordyce. Oh, Fordyce, the homosexual Fordyce. in the costuming department. <laughs> yes. Uh, the Q here, I thought, was very Q. Like, yeah. Actually, this scene could be equally at home in a Bond movie or a Naked Gun movie. Yeah, it, this is where it actually finally started to feel like a spoof and not just yes. some knockoff that we were supposed to accept. <laughs> but yes, we do get this very lispy, campy, uh, homosexual in Fordyce. Uh, the actor would go on to play, of course, Dennis Thatcher in another Bond movie much later on. Huh. Um, of course, the scene where Margaret Thatcher is phoning Bond and uh, we briefly see Dennis in the background or hear him. Uh, that is the same actor. Very versatile, playing a homosexual <laughs> and a beard. <laughs> he can do it all. Um <laughs> Great gag here with um, uh, walking around Q's office or the Q lab uh, and they see a man karate chopping uh, bricks and wood and they nod to him. Good morning, Johnson. And he says, sir, and smacks his head and knocks himself out. I don't know. (laughs) That was like literally the first time in this film where I actually laughed out loud. (laughs) So I had to put that in there. (laughs) I mean, that's why it feels very Naked Gun and very like Roger Moore, because yes, they're just laying on all these good visual gags and some not so good visual gags um, just to make this scene like just, there's always something happening, even if you don't know, (laughs) including the fact that Peter Sellers is being shadowed by an elf or a dwarf or a very short man dressed in latex who has a toadstool. Like, what? I don't know. What? <laughs> what did? You, what were you watching? I did not see this <laughs> at all. You must have looked down to take a note because it. Yeah, it's could, fleeting. Or I was like, or I had my head in my hands at that point. I'm not sure. Honestly, like it was on the second pass that I'm like. Oh, I forgot this. I again, like, was this supposed to go somewhere? Uh, yeah, no. There is a scene where where Evelyn says, "I'm being followed," and Q says, "Yes, that's our security." And they cut away to uh, a man dressed like a garden gnome uh, who has his own toadstool and seems to be wearing a latex. I don't know. Maybe I dreamt it. Maybe I dreamt it both <laughs> maybe, times. Maybe I'm dreaming now. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, the Apple Watch debuted here in 1967. Yes. A- another uh, very curious uh, foreshadowing of real life in this film. And an, a nice gag where Bond uh, tries on this uh, ridiculously <laughs> over-equipped suit and says, it's a little bit tight around the, the poison capsule compartment. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sir James learns that Smirsch is using a school for au pairs in Berlin to train assassins. Needing a reliable young female agent to investigate, Sir James 
Jones travels to somewhere in Asia to recruit his own estranged daughter, Mata Bond. So uh, if you were enjoying Peter Sellers in this movie... Which uh, I kind of was, I will say, for as problematic (laughs) as he is. (laughs) Oh, and he is. Uh, Yeah, he'll be back in about 35 minutes. We're going somewhere else completely for this section of the movie. Oh, we certainly are. Uh, I wrote, oh, we're getting a performance in the middle of this film. Uh, (laughs) We get basically a giant musical number from Mata Bond. Um, a lot of fetishized colonial idyll stuff, very British. Oh, a yeah. A bit of yellow face thrown in for, for good measure. So course. lovely to see all of these white people completely appropriating <laughs> so many beautiful and very distinct cultures in one performance, dance performance. <laughs> like, I mean, is this India? Is this Tibet? I don't know. Matahari had no connection to any of these places. She was Dutch. Cambodia. She in Indonesia. So maybe it's <laughs> maybe. meant to be Indonesia, but I, I don't know. It, they don't, they don't deign to tell us. Um, I will say, beautiful choreography, like an actual, like that could have been in Singing in the Rain uh, <laughs> for all it's worth. Like it really looked fantastic, but you can't not watch it and be like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and I will say, I think Joanne Petit as, as Matt Bond loved her. Like oh, this yeah. is another place where the women are doing all of the good work mm-hmm. in this movie. She's very funny. She's very charming even delivering some very uncomfortable jokes um yeah i I thought she was a ray of sunshine again i do have to ask does she do this like arms 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 dance for every visitor (laughs) without knowing who they are (laughs) maybe she doesn't get many um yeah it should be noted that that yes she she doesn't know i guess that well she knows that sir james bond is her dad but she's basically never met him before she was abandoned by him uh, and put in a, a an orphanage uh, which i guess turns out to be the school for assassins um right that we we then visit uh so yes there's a sort of a tragic backstory to all this and we find out that he has been sending her paychecks to which she responds your monthly paycheck goes on analyst fees <laughs> we love that yeah yes <laughs> uh, so he, and he asks her like how she can afford all of this and she says well th- they love me here i'm i'm the celestial virgin of the sacred altar figuratively of course of course <laughs> <laughs> um yes and then they flirt with each other oh yeah if we thought that the incest jokes were done well get ready there's a lot more what the fuck is wrong with this movie in this time period <laughs> what was wrong with men in this time period oh, I mean, god like it was weird enough that there was clear sexual tension between Mata and her father in this scene but then they address it directly yeah, yeah directly like two camera almost oh yeah um no i need some of those checks for the analyst fees Thank you. <laughs> uh and also at this point like i i love joanna pettit i kind of love the madabon character but there are too many characters at this point we have been introduced to so many important people quote unquote in this film that it is hard to keep track at this point Mata travels to berlin and infiltrates the school her mother, Matahari, was a favourite pupil there. Mata Bond learns that an auction of blackmail material will take place that evening so that Le Chief can pay off his debts to Smersh. Uh, now, I will say, what the fuck is happening now in this scene? <laughs> but she's like walking through this impressionistic nightmare, this German impressionistic nightmare. Uh, but I love this. This is actually like a really fun scene. Yeah. This is this is the part of the movie that I actually really enjoy. Uh, this is the Anna de Armis portion of the film. <laughs> <laughs> it is, um, yeah, great makeup, great lighting, beautiful sets. 
we do have we have two greats of British comedy here. We have Bernard Cribbins as the cab driver and Ronnie Corbett of the two Ronnies as Polo, the henchman. Um, it took me so long to recognize that it was Ronnie Corbett because <laughs> I've only ever seen Ronnie Corbett as an old man. So I just wrote, I love right. this Timothy Spall character. <laughs> he invented Timothy Spall. Um <laughs> Also, I don't know if you recognized her, but this is Anna Quayle, who played Baroness Bombburst in uh, Oh, no way! Oh my god, um, I did not recognize her at all. She is now MVP in two movies, because she... Well, she's not the only MVP in this, but it's all she's the women. She's one of the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, loved her in this. She's so... I, like, I feel like I need to track down more Anna Quayle, because I love her so much in this and Chitty Chitty. Like, she's really lifted two films that were subpar, I would say. Yeah. But looking back at her career, it feels like she never really got discovered the way she deserved to. Like, she Aww. she could have been a great comic actress, and there don't seem to be many great Anna Quayle movies, unfortunately. That's too bad. Um, there are some great, like, visual gags in this scene as they're revealing, <laughs> like, the layers to this spy school. They open the door to the coding and cipher class, and it's just a bunch of women in blonde wigs clacking away on <laughs> typewriters. And they open another door to what was it the like uh weapons room or i i don't know the combat training room and mm-hmm. they're all in these black bobs wearing black leather <laughs> fighting each other in high speed it was ridiculous it's very red room very black widow um, oh yes very that i feel like a lot of the jokes in this were just sharper than other places that i love the moment where um frau hoffner is it uh anna mm-hmm. quail's character she says you're even more fascinating than your mother as she caresses <laughs> the scar on her cheek. And like, that's, oh. that's dark and great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course the line, what an enormous bed. The German army was very large in those days. <laughs> so ridiculous. So Mada Bond steals the blackmail material, sabotages the auction and flees Berlin. This forces Le Chiffre to raise the money he needs by gambling at Baccarat. There's an entire exchange here that I wrote down because I love it so much between uh, Marta Bond and Frau Hoffner. Tonight, we are selling one of the finest art collections in Europe. Le Chiffre's collection? Who? Le Chiffre. Who is Le Chiffre? The man who owns the art collection. What art collection? The one that's about to be auctioned. Who said anything about an auction? You did. Who am I? Frau Hoffner. Never heard of her. You're insane, my child. Quite insane. <laughs> I love that bit. I love that scene. <laughs> so ridiculous. There's a lot of those uh, kind of who's on first gags that right. really work here. <laughs> I, I see you noted it too. Kronstein shows Kronstein up from Russia with Love, uh, are one of our favorites in that film. Right? Uh, he gets to die pathetically twice in two different Bond movies. <laughs> um, but much more comedically this comedically this time around. That's true. And I, I feel like he almost gets more to do in this one than he does oh, as yeah. Kronstein. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, I mean, there are a lot, a lot of actors, obviously Ursula Andres being the most notable, uh, that are in both this movie and an official Bond movie. They could not get away with that today, right? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, Burt Kwok is also here, who uh, is like a background scientist in one of the Bond movies, but also played Kato in the Pink Panther uh, movies. Oh. Um, 
unfortunately here he has to deliver a, a racist line about winning the auction with rice um, oh boy. it's not it's not nice and then we descend into the chaos of this fight scene which is like not even the most chaotic fight scene we'll get in this movie and where this whole like good section of the movie falls to pieces unfortunately i will say that everyone bidding other than that terribly racist joke that everyone was bidding in different currencies in that auction <laughs> i thought was hilariously confusing unlike the rest of this movie which was confusing confusing <laughs> um and the fight of uh mata bond against everyone as she's trying to flee really really reminded me of no time to die and how awesome it is to see a woman kicking ass in mm-hmm. a room full of men yeah mata bond is is you know kind of a, a great character conceptually conceptually the execution yeah. of course is not great yeah no. uh <laughs> We also get the reveal of Orson Welles as Le Chiffre, and even seeing his name in the credits, I wasn't quite expecting him to be playing that character, so I was kind of surprised <laughs> and shocked. Yeah, I mean, considering like some people in the opening credits are just walk-on cameos, yeah. uh, Orson Welles has a much meatier role and uh, and really buries his teeth in it in this oh movie. Boy. And Peter Sellers really wishes he hadn't because the, this is where the uh, the drama behind the scenes uh, comes into play. Um, but yes, uh, we will get to that with the later uh, scene, I think. I will just say, though, by the way, Orson Welles has one of those 1950s telephones that are just one piece shaped like a like a striking cobra, the Ericophone. Or oh, Ericophone. Love oh, that. Still beautiful. Still, yeah. Uh, people know them i think best for maybe the prisoner but also they show up in everything because they're just a design classic and one day i need to get myself an erica phone <gasps> oh beautiful piece turn it into a bluetooth speaker yes um <laughs> oh and there is a weird joke here where they open the sewers of berlin and hear what's new pussycat playing in the sewers i, I, I did not i have no idea what that joke was about i couldn't write a note about it because i was just so confused yeah i even tried to look it up and it's like there was a there was a Peter Sellers movie called What's New Pussycat mm-hmm. that featured that song, which is written by Burt Bacharach, uh, like oh. a few years earlier. But I don't know. Without seeing that movie, I don't know what the reference is, and I'm not sure I want to see another Peter Sellers movie. So, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's fair and agreed. <laughs> so Evelyn Tremble travels to France, where he is briefed by Mathis. An assassin named Miss Goodthighs seduces and drugs him, but Vesper comes to his rescue. I mean, Miss Goodthighs, great name and did, did you recognize the actor no this is a young Jacqueline Bisset uh as Miss Goodthighs where do I know Jacqueline Bisset from oh maybe you don't know Jacqueline Bisset very well she was in Bullet she's the, the the female lead in Bullet is that that car racing film with Steve McQueen yes <laughs> <laughs> she's been in a huge number of things Murder on the Orient Express oh um, well, she has a new fan in me because Miss Goodthighs is uh, another <laughs> blessed relief in this film. Again, it feels like there was probably another section that was meant to be filmed that never got filmed here where we would have seen her, I don't know, for fighting Vesper or something. I love that Peter Sellers has to put his glasses on to shoot the cork off of the champagne bottle that she offers him. And we do get the line where, where Ursula Andress says, James Bond doesn't wear glasses. And he says, I like to see who I'm shooting. Um, I'm going to ruin that scene for you now, though, I'm afraid. Oh, no. Yeah. Jacqueline Bissett would later say in, I think, in her biography that she wasn't, she didn't know that he was going to shoot, uh, turn around and shoot in that scene. It wasn't in the script. Um, Oh, oh, very Alec Baldwin level behavior. mm, Yeah. So he, he turned around, he shot the blank 
peppered her in the face. She was covered in hot gunpowder. Uh, she was bleeding. Um, and she was just terrified to be around him after that uh, exchange. Oh so, yeah, there have been many assholes in Hollywood for a long time. And Peter Sellers is one of them. And, uh, yeah, thoughts go out to Jacqueline Bissett and anyone who's had to put up with that kind of stupid behavior on a film set. Honestly, so, so uncalled for, and that it still happens to this day. I mean, I was just reading about Benedict Cumberbatch going all method on his latest <sighs> film, and how he stank because he wouldn't wash, and how he treated his co-stars like shit. And it's like, can we move out of this phase of acting where you have to pretend to be the person you are for right. 24 hours a day? It's so unnecessary, and the results are no better or worse than people who don't have to pull off that shit, you know? <laughs> And when, when do we ever hear stories about women pulling this nonsense? <laughs> never. Never. You never hear about, let's just go back to Angelica Houston. Imagine if she was doing that shit on set. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, men just, are, I don't know, they're insecure babies who think that they're so important and that they have to make themselves more important all the time. And so they're like, oh, well, I'm going to be method about this. Yeah, I'm going to give up now. my own comfort and the comfort of those around me so that I right? can give a better performance. I'm going to make choices that other people then can't choose to avoid. Um, yep. Because it's I'm an asshole. Selfish fucking behavior. <laughs> the, there is the very weird scene here. Peter Sellers coming back into the movie after half an hour away, uh, arriving in France and punching the customs agent for no reason at all that even yep. the movie cannot account for it, explain nope. it in any ways. Um, the, the characters talk about it in scene. Like, why did you do that? And right. I, I don't even remember the joke that that he was trying to, like, hand wave it away with. But it was basically like, I don't know. <laughs> I just yeah, did. It's like, oh, he's a loose cannon. We have to send in uh, Vesper to, to look after him. But like, but why would he shoot a, a punch that guy? It made no sense. It was not, not explained. At all. Um, um, why, why are they in this car wash that is <laughs> women in black latex? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's not explained. Um, but it comes right after the punching out of the, the customs agent. So it's like my, my brain is still reeling at that point in the movie. I'm like, oh yeah, no, that's the, yeah, that's the, the Paris lady car wash or something. I don't and, know. And just <laughs> when you can, you think this movie cannot sink any lower than this sunken lounge level that we've hit, uh, <laughs> we get this insane montage with one of the worst, like, parody songs i think i've ever heard james bond playing at the casino royale james like, bond playing at casino <laughs> royale he won a lot of money and a girl at casino royale like that is literally how it goes oh it felt in like that, listening that to that voice. stupid bilbo baggins song and watching <laughs> that awful cartoon from the 70s it just made me like want to turn this film off i think after this scene i paused actually bef i so i paused the first time uh just before ursula andrus arrived because i needed a break and i watched an episode of survivor and this after this scene i paused again and i, and I watched another episode of survivor because <laughs> i i just could not i this was a six-hour experience for me because <laughs> I could not do it in two. <laughs> no, fair. It's actually agony watching this whole movie. Like, it is such a disaster. Maybe maybe this is a good time to, to talk about what happened in the making of this movie. Cause yeah, please. Some context, please. It is crazy. Uh, so, apparently, Peter Sellers was the one that, that recommended Orson Welles for the role. So, there wasn't 
maybe wasn't bad blood initially, but for some reason they absolutely hated each other on set. Huh, maybe it was just Peter Sellers being a complete asshole all the time. <laughs> I think that's very possibly it. Like, Sellers was incredibly badly behaved on this movie and was eventually fired and whether he was an asshole before well showed up or only after i don't know i think maybe just the whole time like this was a guy who was at the top of his fame was a huge celebrity and clearly a huge prima donna and an awful person to be around he would just go awol for days during the shoots um he one story claims that Princess Margaret came to visit the set and uh, and Peter Sellers made this big deal about welcoming her and she basically ignored him to talk to Orson Welles because he found Orson Welles much more fascinating. Well, um, of course, Orson Welles still incredibly handsome in this film. Uh, dare I say fuckable. <laughs> <laughs> I think you dare. Um, so yes, Princess Margaret, who we all know is uh, an absolute glamour puss uh, from watching The Crown um, and was, yes, the the, the babe to end all babes and by some rumors had an affair with david niven at some point yes she she gave sellers the cold shoulder as i think he deserved and uh he spent the rest of the the shooting behaving like a stroppy toddler until eventually they said we can't do this with you anymore you're a disaster and they fired him from the movie and then had to reconfigure the entire film to make sense of the fact that he wasn't there to shoot most of it um wow that i mean that almost explains one of the upcoming dream one of the upcoming (laughs) dream sequences I mean, I think it's the reason for for all of them and for much of the strangeness in this movie. But at the same time, like a lot of the the fixes do not are not fixes. Like no, no, they're edits. <laughs> yeah, they they should have thrown everything away. Um, although yeah. actually, they they technically made the right decision not doing so because this movie more than made its money back. So I don't know. There's no accounting for anything. I mean, as we've learned, the tastes of British audiences in 1967 (laughs) are far different than our own, so... Yeah. We do get some very beautiful Ursula Andres in lingerie shots here. Um, Yeah, uh, the Star Wars holiday special directly lifted this dream sequence (laughs) idea. Completely. Good for them. They just replaced Diane Carroll with... Or, sorry, they replaced (laughs) Ursula Andres with Diane Carroll. And and executed it just as well. (laughs) Yes, exactly. At Casino Royale, Le Chiffre is winning at Baccarat by using using infrared glasses. (laughs) That's right, yes. That's right, yes. (laughs) Evelyn is sent in to defeat him, and Vesper steals Le Chiffre's glasses. Initially, Bond loses. But Vesper bankrolls him back into the game, and he is able to wipe Le Chiffre out. Oh my god, you could have cut and pasted that from... Our initial Casino Royale episode. Right? It's very close. Um, (laughs) Nothing else in this scene is, but that description you did very well with. Yeah, I, like, I, we, I don't remember Mads Mikkelsen performing stage magic uh, at the Baccarat table where he elevates a woman into the air and then <laughs> yes. whips away the sheet to reveal that she's disappeared. Ah, uh, yes, Le Chiffre, the famous magician slash uh, <laughs> socialist bankroller. <laughs> yeah, I mean, apparently this was Orson Welles was like, oh, I think this is what my character would do. And they were like, oh, okay, God. all right. And it, it doesn't work. It doesn't This make explains sense. writers number three and four. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, at this scene, apparently, like, Sellers brought in his own writer to write his line so that they would be funnier than Orson Welles' line. Oh, like, it's... Dick measuring contest happening on set. 
It's so it's messy, and they did not see, film this together. They, they, you know, the even the the two shots here are just edited, spliced together. They were not in the same room um, wow. for wow, any of wow. this sequence because they could not stand each other. Um, so, well, I mean, but, good job on that editing because that I could not tell. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, and there is actually some good, like some of the sparring between these characters. I actually kind of enjoyed, like the the fact that Sellers Bond is getting so impatient with Le Chief and Le Chief is just sort of gleefully like showing up flags and doves and all this like over the top stuff <laughs> that was and really Sellers good. is like oh are we done is this finished are we still going uh, like that was funny I like that bit oh, and then he and then Peter Sellers ruins it all by being his like famous disgusting racist self and using yeah. that like in the quote unquote Indian voice and mm-hmm. I just wrote we're really lucky that he's not in brown phase two right now right yes. that is another I mean, film <laughs> yeah it wouldn't have been uh out of beyond the pale for them to just cut away and suddenly he's in brown face because that's this kind of movie and he does a chinese accent as well and yeah uh, i don't know why we thought this stuff was funny no it really isn't like there's no joke in there it is truly just like the joke of doing someone else's accent uh, yeah i don't know i just don't see what's funny the one good line oh go, good gag uh, in this scene is where where Vesper is showing him Le Chief through a one-way mirror and she says it's oh a one-way mirror <gasps> which way he jumps behind a plant like so frightened <laughs> and she's just very calm and says that way that way yeah <laughs> <laughs> very good uh, that was good comedy <laughs> yeah uh also this is the fastest game of baccarat we will ever get in a bond <laughs> film so enjoy it uh it's three hands and it whips by and i was happy <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's still outstayed as welcome for me, but sure. <laughs> uh, also, I mean, we are well past the time where the joke would be relevant, but if a drag king ever needed the name Burke, Bert Baccarat, they are welcome <laughs> to have it. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah, yeah I like it. Uh, Vespa is abducted outside the Casino Royale. Evelyn gives chase, but is also taken prisoner. Le Chief uses sinister <laughs> technology to psychologically uh, torture. I'm sorry, slow down. <laughs> we just skipped over a whole scene where Bond gets caught by Le Chiffre, right? Did did um, did I miss that? <laughs> we all missed it. Um, yeah, in, in the recap, I had to use some words to bridge these scenes, but it does not happen in the movie. At no point is Evelyn taken prisoner by Le nope. Chief, uh, because... Peter Sellers was fired from the movie <laughs> and so we don't which it's kind of weird because you could have shot that film with like your shitty miniatures and just do it all like from far away you know, you know yeah. it's, a, it's a, re- a chase scene you don't need Peter Sellers for that not at all but no, um, they did not they did not bridge the gap they did not explain how he got captured he's literally getting into a Formula 1 racing car that he has borrowed from Sterling Moss in a cameo by a great British racing driver Sterling Moss I don't know what's uh, going on in this film. I mean, I don't know if you even knew that that was a cameo. Uh, no, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, it, it makes no sense. It has a bit where Evelyn does a joke to camera, which he's not done before this point in the movie. Uh, we're taking a lot of swings in this next section. Like, we this we, we start doing cameos in general from this point on, which I right? wasn't expecting. <laughs> Some of the weirdest cameos I've ever seen in film history. Shocking. Like it, it, The strangest thing is that we are both closest to and farthest from Casino Royale at this point in the movie. Oh, like, boy. Like, technically, the plot, like, oh, he wins, he beats the chief at cards. Vesper and then they kidnapped. both get caught. 
That's straight out of the novel, yeah. And then Bond (laughs) gets tortured in a seat that has no bottom. And it was so strange to me that like they're using this, the iconic bashing the balls scene as a gag oh the seat's merely waiting to be reupholstered um like <laughs> great that, line that yeah. we had never seen this in a movie to this point so that means that this was famous from the book everyone knew this iconic scene from from the book, the book. wow what a world right. to have lived in <laughs> uh i will say it's kind of a terrific method of torture that the films haven't really done yet like using psychological hallucinogenic torture uh, using a scots marching band that it, it's all pretty tortuous <laughs> it's yeah we have this this beauty contest that looks like it's a play on the maurice binder bond credits with the sort of the the beautiful women playing off against like a uh, an inverted silhouette of 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 his face and yeah it's it's so str- like i mean basically this whole sequence is like we've lost or kicked off the the actor and now we just have to edit together whatever we have and get this character off the screen <laughs> uh did like not knowing any of that backstory mm-hmm. left this scene like completely confused i had no idea peter sellers was dead i i thought this was all in his head (laughs) and that when we cut to the next scene uh we were like going to come back eventually and figure out what happened to peter sellers uh that he was going to come in at the end and save the day that none of that is going to happen and i'm just going to have to live without that closure uh and uh, i hate this movie (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so glad we could share this um yeah (laughs) this scene ends with vesper betraying evelyn shooting him dead in what seems to be a dream sequence or a a psychological torture miasma smirch agents then kill the sheaf as they do in the novel in the novel Hmm. But, uh, but and it's kind of a cute gag where Le Chief is talking to these agents through like a monitor on his screen and then they punch through the monitor and shoot him. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, that's fun. It's kind of yeah. funny. Um, seems to also be a product of the, the way they're filming all this. But what the fuck was Peter O'Toole doing there, Andrew? What was Peter O'Toole doing there? Yes, Peter O'Toole is one of the pipers that appears in the huge, huge army of marching pipers bagpipe players uh in this dream phantasm thing <laughs> where the the gag is one of the, uh, peter sellers says are you richard burton and peter o'toole says no i'm peter o'toole and it's like wait what yes you are what's the joke i don't understand i, I, <laughs> I will say the fact that the frilly laced cravat predates on Her Majesty's Secret Service was a real reveal for me. That somehow they stole that look for an actual Bond movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's strange. Um, I will say when Vesper comes in to, to kill him with the line, never trust a rich spy, um, she looks phenomenal in that Highland uh, oh, yeah. garb. I mean, it's Ursula Andress. She looks amazing in everything and in nothing. So, yes. Um, but it was like one more beautiful uh, ensemble for her. Um, but yeah, Peter Sellers is now gone from the movie. He has about 30 minutes of screen time in this very long movie. And that's crazy. That is so crazy. He is the star of this film and he's hardly <laughs> in it. <laughs> uh, and yeah, at this point, I'm just like, this is the point where I 
started like saying, oh, something is wrong. There was something happening. <laughs> There's all these smash cuts and missing scenes. And it felt like they hired Sellers and then had to finish the movie with Niven. And it turns out I was right. Like yes. all of that is is exactly what was happening. Yeah, I think Sellers and Niven were always both. Like, I think Niven was always in the movie, but mm-hmm. always playing the retired Sir James Bond, who is now M. But it definitely um, feels like Sellers was supposed to finish up these next few scenes, and yes. instead they had to fall back on on someone else. Yes, very definitely. So yes, in the next scene in London, Mata Bond is abducted by Smirsh and transported by Flying Saucer to Casino Royale, where all the other 007s are also being held. Mimi returns, informing Sir James of his daughter's whereabouts, and he and Moneypenny give chase. I am just seeing your notes here, and the fact that we both said it, I I mean... Did this not instantly bring to mind Thunderbirds? Like the yes. 1960s, uh, what, what was it called? Papa, Papa, Marionation. Marionation. Thank you. I was going to say Papa Natronics <laughs> or something. No, that too. <laughs> but just the way those, the little feet pop out as it's slowly <laughs> descending on the grass. I was like, oh, yeah. it's like Thunderbird 3. <laughs> Yeah, that hovercraft was cute. I actually really like the little hovercraft. This is when the miniatures get worse, but better. Yes. And like, why a flying saucer? What? Who the hell thought oh. this is the direction the movie needs to go in? I do not know. It's... I mean, at this point, they were just desperately cobbling shit together, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, what, what'll what be funny to the audience? I don't know. Throw in a flying saucer. Yeah. It, it, uh, let's just indicate to the movie that we don't give a shit. To the audience, sorry. Let's just tell everyone at home, or sorry, everyone in the theatre, <laughs> we do not give a shit. We've got your money. We don't care. You're here now. <laughs> you have to sit through this just like we had to make this. Yes. Um... <laughs> I was really surprised that the Mimi in the convent subplot paid off because it's the only thing that is established and then recurs in the entire movie. Wow. Of all of the things to actually come back, I was not expecting that. Not at all. Um, and I do want to give a quick shout out to Matabon's coat dress and peach hat. Um, I think she looks very chic here. Agreed. Um, and she suddenly has like a twiggy uh, hairdo as well, which sure. I'm not mad about good. it. Yeah. Sir James and Moneypenny are attacked at the casino. They flee into a secret Smirsh base where they encounter the head of Smirsh, Dr. Noah. He is revealed as Sir James's nephew, Jimmy Bond. Oh my god. Is this like the Daniel Craig films all over again? Dr. Noah <laughs> reveals his plan to release a, a bacillus that will make all women beautiful and kill all men taller than 4-6. Sir James and Moneypenny are captured. Uh, again, we have some great set design here. The Smirsh HQ looks kind of like Stromberg's Atlantis. Mm, um, there yes. are some great trippy sets. I, I did do a little bit of background reading on this this movie just to try and make sense of it. Thank and you. Woody Allen was keeping a diary, or maybe always kept a diary. Um, but his diary during this shoot was, help, I'm in this terrible movie. It's a disaster. Everything's awful. <laughs> um, one of the things he hated, though, were these 60 sets, which, you know, Woody Allen has what? no taste we we just know that. Um, uh, yeah, well, it's bad taste, you might say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and this whole scene, Woody Allen is just... I mean, I don't know. Maybe at the time when people liked Woody Allen, maybe they enjoyed this clown shtick that he's doing. It's, I find it impossible. I, I've never been a Woody Allen fan, and I find it impossible to find him funny now. Um, and this whole scene is torture, watching him just goof and... 
he's just he's he is death to comedy for me yeah yeah he's really repulsive just uh, it's one of those things where you cannot separate the art from the artist like you could just never look at woody allen again and be like well you know his movies were funny no no no. just his whole being ruins anything that he might have done before that um i will say he does look a lot like rosa kleb when (laughs) they zoom on in on him and i appreciated that little nod Dr. Noah interrogates one of the other captured 007s, the Detainer. Finally. He reveals another plan to replace all the world's leaders with duplicates. She tricks him into releasing her and she slips his pill-sized atomic bomb into his champagne. I mean, triple oof here. Woody (laughs) Allen saying, I undress and tie up all women I'm interested in was Uh, dark. (laughs) Yeah. There were some good moments in this stuff because we're back with the detainer. Uh, Dahlia Lavi, still radiant, funny, charming, great. Um, He says, they called Einstein crazy. She says, that's not true. No one called Einstein crazy. (laughs) Um, uh, she also, when he, when, when he's complaining about a crude plan, she says, well, it's crude to tie up women. Work. Um, it was like, yeah, finally a, a note of feminism in this movie, yeah. just Ooh. pointing out that men are always like, oh, this is crude. This is refined. And it's like, yeah, but also the way you treat women, you're all dicks. So yeah. stop <laughs> pretending. I also like the concept of rain cooled tattinger. Mm. Um, <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> And then we have this weird moment with the choir and the rousing speech and Noah is saying, uh, you know, all people living together in harmony and, and peace and goodness. Um, and the idea of this, the villain actually has good aims, but then of course it turns out that these are the things he doesn't believe in. Um, could have been a really funny scene, but it's Woody Allen, so I can't enjoy it. Yep, I, I'm with you there. Honestly, because it was so much Woody Allen, I started tuning out at this point. Uh, <laughs> uh, I I was resisting so hard the urge to constantly check to see how much time we had left at this point. I knew I was close, but I did not want to be disappointed. <laughs> you would have been. <laughs> I would have, and, and I was. Uh, Sir James Moneypenny, Mata, and Coop break out of their cell. As the secret base self-destructs around them, they escape through the casino. I, I don't know what's happening. I, the, my only real note here is the, the Frankenstein's monster appears in this scene for no reason for at all. He is, what reason? He play, he's played by David Prowse. Oh, David um, Prowse, Darth Vader. Yeah. Uh, the the, the statuesque, statuesque version of Darth Vader, not the voice. Yes, yes, the body of Darth Vader is also the body of Frankenstein's monster. In, in this and in subsequent movies, he also played Frankenstein's monster. Oh. So... It, uh good get that paycheck i guess <laughs> uh, he was he was at pinewood that day uh they they, they said hey you're already in costume come on over to set three um, <laughs> I, I just said so much happens and i have no notes this is a good five to ten minute long scene and it's just lots of chasing and campy music there are seals fighting woody allen is hiccuping animated clouds and i i just I have no idea what to say about any of it. It's just no. a fever dream that is washing over me at this point. So James is then held at gunpoint by Vesper. The the heel turn continues. But this happens just as the reinforcements arrive and a gunfight and a brawl break out in the casino. And yeah, this is just... It is it is actual chaos. And, yeah, and it's a fucking circus and I hate it. <laughs> Um, Vespa says that um, she was motivated by love, but we never get any explanation for who she was in love with or right. Or, or who, why, what, when? What. Um, Sir James turns around and shoots dead the concierge, like for no reason. The concierge isn't a bad guy. 
He was just trying to get them through the door. Uh, there's a right. monkey trying to eat bubbles for some reason. There's a roulette wheel that comes up off the table and flies around. Another drone, I guess. Uh, there's a terribly offensive depiction of Native Americans played by white people. Yes, that then do a dance number. Oh, yeah. Yeah, real um, bad. Some very strange cameos. A Keystone cut Cops Cutaway. Uh, I wrote... <laughs> A-K-C-A-B. Um, <laughs> All Keystone cops are bastards. Thank you. That's oh, great. Yes. Um, <laughs> the only good joke here is when someone gets thrown through a wall revealing a secret studio where they paint women gold. Oh, I wrote, I love the Jill <laughs> Masterson reference. <laughs> love that. Uh, yeah, I, that's a really good joke. Um, and also we get a cameo by John Paul Belmondo who gives us like our last incidental hottie of the movie. Like that man has a savoir-faire. He is, he is hot. <laughs> This is when I really put it together that Peter Sellers was dead in the film, that he was not coming back, <laughs> as I could tell that we were about five minutes away from the end. Right. We see that there is a dog 007, there is a seal 007, uh, there's a lot, a lot going on. Yeah, so Dr. Noah explodes, killing everyone, thank God. Seven James Bonds sent to heaven, Money Penny, the Detainer, Coop... Mata, Vesper, Sir James, and Jimmy. They're met by Evelyn Tremble, who sends Jimmy down to hell. Oh, ah. this fucking song. Cue fucking the terrible movie. song once again. <laughs> They've got us on the run with guns and knives. We're fighting. <sighs> Were they? Uh, uh, yeah. This was incomprehensible. I was almost relieved to hear this song because i knew it was the end uh i guess it helped make sense of the credits we saw two hours and 10 minutes prior or in your case six hours and two episodes yes thank you i (laughs) yes exactly i immediately watched a third episode of survivor after finishing this film (laughs) film Um, quote unquote mgm paid 10 million dollars to acquire the rights to this movie like 20 years ago uh, so that they could complete their ownership of all bonds i really hope it brought them peace of mind because uh this trash is not worth 10 million dollars wow they made 10 dollars off of us this weekend andrew (laughs) (laughs) we are still Uh, giving this movie money to this day well uh Listener, do not watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, do, you, you do, do not, not need to movie. contribute to MGM's uh, Casino Royale fund. They, they've had enough. They've had enough. We do not need a resurgence of this film in any way. Should we get into the lowlights and lowlights of this movie? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, <laughs> there are a couple of highlights, and it is all women. Ursula oh, yes. Andress and her fabulous gowns and housecoats. The Detainer and her fabulous essence of being. Mm-hmm. Mada and her pre-Anna de Armas kicking ass scene. Those are all really high points in this film. Absolutely. The women are excellent, even when the material is not. Um, Dahlia Lavi's The Detainer, great. I mean, I, I am so in love with that character and that actor. And Anna Quayle, Baron, Baroness Bomburst, coming back as Frau Hoffner. She carries that Berlin scene. I, her and Joanna Pettit um, together. They like chew the, that scenery so well in that So scene. good. Yeah. yeah. They are the, a definite highlight. Yeah. Low lights. Ooh, there's so much to pick from. <laughs> I mean, Woody Allen being in this movie is like, it's high up there. Yeah, you know? the thought of Woody Allen as a comedian is my first point here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Peter Sellers doing a lot of really 
nasty shit. I mean, not just shooting at Jacqueline Bissett. I mean, obviously that is that's learning not on, that that is pretty high up on the list for me of lowlights of this film. Knowing yeah. that. And his whole, like, asshole behavior. But also, on screen, he's doing his awful racist jokes. He's dressing up as Hitler. It's like, I mean, honest to God, the moment the the, the movie had him appear as Hitler, I think is the moment when I texted you and said, this movie is a three-day <laughs> rental and you may need three days to get through it. You were right. I mean, it definitely took me three parts to watch this film. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also have to add the missing s- scenes and scenes that run far too long for no reason yeah. really detract from this film. Um, Why is this a movie over two hours long? Like, if you didn't have two hours of material, for God's sakes, don't make it a two-hour movie. Thank you. God, there are some fashion highlights in this film. Andrew, what was your favorite thing to look at? I mean, it has to go to Feather's pink business gown with the feathered <laughs> yeah. turban. I love it. It was so outre. It was so camp. It was beautiful. What about you? Mm. Uh, I, I also have Vesper as my top, but for me, it mm. was the feathered arms and the white dressing gown with pink sash and accents and that heavy, heavy diamond necklace. Uh, also, <laughs> just generally, women's fashion in 1967 is just a highlight for me that is... For me, that is the height of all that fashion will ever be. Like, <laughs> just mini skirts and, and, uh, like really crazy colored dresses with lots of lines and swirls and circles. The pop art of it all. I, I loved watching all of the women in the foreground and the background in this movie. Yeah. The, 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 the coop training scene, like that, that's kind of a highlight just because we get to see so many different women in different looks and they all look stunning like i don't know who did the makeup in this movie but they were doing an amazing job yeah the casino the casino scene also all of the women standing also did you notice that it was only women standing behind le and there was about (laughs) 30 of them Uh, that was a detail that we did not note uh, that i would say is pretty damn good and they all looked fabulous including these like seven foot tall stone-faced blonde twins twins yes they were incredible they had nothing to do but stand there and like have no expression it was incredible so good (laughs) um my my other honorable mention fashion wise is matters uh, white and peach ensemble when she gets abducted oh, in London. Uh, so this beautiful coat dress, very like, I mean, this was cutting edge fashion in yeah. the 60s. There are some queer moments in this film <laughs> and we get to choose from them and we may be ostracized from our communities for doing so. <laughs> uh, Andrew, what was your, the queerest moment for you? I mean, it, I gotta give it to Four Dice. He is yeah. a queer character through and through, queer coded. Um, I, maybe the actor was queer. I don't know. Uh, not willing he, to look up any more information about this film. Just putting that <laughs> out there. We'll never know. Yeah. Like maybe it could be argued that it's an affectionate joke, but I think the joke was on us, not with us to be, yeah, to be blunt. Yeah. For sure um, that. But at the same time, there wasn't really anything where they were like oh, fucking faggot like it was just kind of he was and we that was supposed to be funny but i don't yeah. know i kind of like the character so i he yes. is also my top queer moment in the film but also men meeting in public toilets i mean come on come on yes uh, the, the moment where bond is asking for mathis's identification and looks down and it's like okay that seems yep. to be in order it's pretty um, french to me <laughs> which of course he was not he was scottish uh, there was a joke about that in the movie as well um and yes the line daddy only liked the lasses your daddy really was a different man in whitehall i did like that um Very good. whitehall is that kind of a place <laughs> <laughs> jack whitehall 
no, no. He only plays gays on screen. Right. <laughs> uh, sexiest moment. Uh, I mean, we're going to be on similar ground here, I would mm-hmm. think. Vespa. Everything Ursula Andress does is yes. sexy. Yeah. Um, the the dream sequences are terrible, but we get to see her wearing the most vavavoom lingerie, and it's maybe worth it just for that. There's nothing like breasts in the '60s. The way that they are pointy somehow in their brassiers, um, mm-hmm. but it is just such an iconic fashion moment. I love it. She's so beautiful. Uh, also, I have to give a shout out to the Scotsman taking on Sir James David Niven. Yes, uh, there are some real hotties in there, and I mean, I'm down for a wassling anytime. So. <laughs> Uh, yes, love the burly Scotsman. And also, Jacqueline Bassett, we didn't mention it, but when she appears as Miss Goodthighs, she's dressed only in a men's shirt, and that is uh, always a beautiful look on a, a woman. And very classic Bond. Very classic Bond. And, of course, the song The Look of Love, which oh, I'm sure yeah. we will discuss still, but it is a sexy song. Agreed. Now, lots to choose from, I'm sure, but what was the best line or gag in the film for you? Who said anything about an auction? You did. Who am I? Frau Hoffner. Never heard of her. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. I'm sorry, I just love it. <laughs> uh, and I had to go with, I am the celestial virgin of the sacred altar. Figuratively, of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> An honorable mention to, for the peoples of the world, for the glorious sake of the socialist <laughs> revolution, because that is something I believe in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, not the position of the movie, but... No, but no, 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 still, but a, still good. Um, most timeless or relevant moment? I mean, I, very little has aged well in this no, movie. No, no, no. Um, but it does have a world-ending master plan that involves a virus, so I guess that still applies. <laughs> uh, also, Woody Allen being considered a lovable buffoon until it turns <laughs> out he's an absolute monster oh, is yeah. real life, so that's pretty timeless and relevant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 it really is. Um, cringiest moment. Ooh. Oh I my mean, god, hold on, let me unscroll and- <laughs> this list here. <laughs> yeah, like the cringy moments, the problematic elements, it's all... The it's all out there. Movie. It you is just so heard racist. us talk about it for an hour and a half, uh, yeah. <laughs> racism for the sake of racism, because they think racism is funny, like that that's just it for me. <laughs> like, yeah, I, that homophobia, misogyny, incest, this movie really has it all. really does. Is there anyone to add to the Vesper list? It's hard to in this film because they Everyone all dies? die, but yeah. no one dies to advance. Well, who? how do you even consider it? <laughs> They're all Bond. They're all 007. So everyone dies <laughs> to advance 007's plot, but no one successfully advances. Uh, who cares? <laughs> there is no plot. So. No. <laughs> and now it's time for our ratings. So we're each going to give this movie a score between one and... One and three. Okay, yeah. And then award bonus points from four <laughs> categories. Bond, song, glamour, and queerness. The maximum score available is 007, but let's see if we can top 003. <laughs> we'll start with our base scores. Andrew! Now, remind me, the rules say that we have to give it at least one. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess so, because like we're watching it. Every movie is a one, a two, or a three? Yeah, I mean, I guess the lowest you can get is a 001. Uh, and, yeah. Okay, it gets a one. Fine, yeah, one. <laughs> the second one, the second point is uh, tricky. The, does the Bond get the point? Now, I can't go my usual route of saying Bond isn't in it. Bond is in it. More Bonds are in it than in any other Bond movie. Possibly more Bonds are in it collectively than all other Bond 
Maybe. But Andrew, we I literally just turned my back on my own system last time we were together <laughs> and said we had to take a point away because Bond died at the end. Well, guess what, baby? You're oh. not getting the fucking point. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Uh, yes, if the detainer had survived, maybe I would have... If uh... any of them had survived, then maybe <laughs> it would get the point because then we would have a clear idea of who we were supposed to be following here. <laughs> um, so, no, sorry. You, you tried it. Uh, Casino Royale, but you kill all the Bonds, and none of them were acting like Bond, so you don't get the point. Song. This is a, a point of contention. What are we going to consider the song here? I, yeah, If it's James Bond playing at Casino yeah. Royale. <laughs> Which arguably is absolutely the theme of the film. Like It is the it closing is, credits song. It is the plot. The oh. opening song is is the Casino Royale music as well, the Herb, Herb Albert Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass Band. Um, But the Academy Award nominated original song was The Look of Love by Dusty Springfield. Which, I mean, if we choose The Look of Love, then it will get the point because that is an incredible song and has, is the only thing from this movie that has aged well beside Ursula Andress. Uh, But I don't know. It is not, it's not the credit song. I am loath to give this film more points than it deserves. I think we have to go with either of the credit songs and say that neither of them is worthy of this point. That's for me. I'm going to give it the point. I'm sorry. The look of love deserves some attention. I'm glad that, you know. It's one of our classic, we're splitting the difference by conspiring and we're basically setting the prices and it's terribly unethical, but no. This is our show. Yeah. So fuck you, (laughs) listener. We love you. Keep listening. Uh, Okay. This is something I think we might actually be agreed upon. This is a pretty glamorous movie. The fashion is fashionable. The sets are luxurious and opulent. They have every animal from whatever the fuck zoo <laughs> they were in near in it. I, I am going to give it a glamour point. Yeah, it's hard to argue with. It is absolutely a glamorous movie. If there were a way to appreciate the glamour without anything else, I would be encouraging people to like experience that. Yeah, and the costumes are sublime. The women are so be- good and so beautiful. I don't and, know. Look up some clips of Ursula Andress, of Jacqueline Bisset, yeah. of uh, uh, what's her name, Patet, uh, uh, Joanna Patet. Joanne Patet. Like they do great performances in this movie. You can watch two minutes of this film and not miss anything. And Dahlia Lavi, but her biggest scene is with Woody Allen. So I would, yeah, yeah, yeah. advise I, caution. Consider that. Okay, uh, queerness. I mean, look. Does this movie have more references? to queerness than a lot of the Bond films that we've covered? Yes. Yes. Is any of it not problematic? No. No. <laughs> I, I, I can't give this movie a queer point. Can you? I, I, yeah, you know, I've been agonizing again. I always say that, don't I? I'm <laughs> well, this was an agonizing film, so... This was an agonizing film. <laughs> I really, like, on, on the one hand, like, my Winton Kid rule was, well, if there is a clearly queer character then that's worth some recognition um but if it's entirely negative then then it shouldn't it should get the point deducted again basically winton kid though i feel like isn't entirely negative because it it gave me something i agree does four dice give me something to cling to i no uh is there some just 
unnecessary homophobia that really triggered me in this movie yes like peter sellers just doing the lisping voice really like for me just like brought up every gay joke that i endured through my entire childhood the way everyone would would talk about gay people and and mock me for being a slightly effete and unsporty boy that knew all the words to west side story like yeah it was uncomfortable it was unnecessary so it gets the point and then it loses it again thank you i completely (laughs) agree um yeah honestly i don't know if many people understand the feeling of actually being taken out of a film but like when that happened i had the exact same reaction like oh i'm just and fordice too i'm just being reminded of how othered i've been my entire life and it's not fun to watch it is not fun to relive there's no comedy in other people's pain um and that's exactly what it felt like (laughs) So the movie gets three points from me, two points from you for a record-breaking wow. 2.5. I think Zardoz is the only movie to do worse than that. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> that <is> fair. <laughs> At least this was a Bond film, you know? Um, so I guess that's where it gets that extra 0. 0.5, I guess. A miserable outing. Um, you don't need to see this film. Consider nope. listening to us for these past two hours. All you need to know. <laughs> Next time on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, God. Andrew, do you feel <laughs> that relief in the air? Oh. Do, you, do you know what it's like to watch something that you actually enjoy? <laughs> this time, it's Barbara's turn as a new broccoli takes over production on the franchise with the first Pierce Brosnan Bond movie featuring Tina, Fomka, Isabella, Judy, and Alan. Oh, Queens all. Queens all. I watched this from the shadows as a child. It's golden eye. Uh, I watched it in the theater as an adult, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Very much looking forward to golden eye. Um, it, yeah, it, it's just a good time. Yeah, it is. Fomka. Fomka. Oh, Alan, really in a star turn. I, we will get to it. I cannot wait to talk about it. And listener, I am sure you've been waiting for this one for a really long time, like we have. Yeah, it's kind of the movie that, for a lot of people, like introduced them to Bond or, or made them fall in love with Bond. So, oh yeah, yeah. it's going to be fun. Uh, you can follow Kiss Kiss Bang Bang on Twitter and Instagram at KKBBPod or send us much nicer than this movie messages at KissKissBangBangPod at gmail.com. I should really check the inbox. Uh, you can also follow our individual Twitter accounts at Wheeler and at Shane Came Back. Please share, like, rate and review Kiss Kiss Bang Bang on your preferred podcasting and social media platforms. Our graphics are provided by the peerlessly talented Professor Carl Schurer. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Carl Schurer, C-A-R-L-S-H-U-R-A. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is recorded in Toronto on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. We acknowledge that we are settlers on unceded territory. We like to end every episode with a great piece of Bond-related music, and Shane, what have you got for us this week? Well, discovering how much of this film was actually a direct influence on Austin Powers... For better and worse, I had to honor one of our all-time faves, Shirley Bassey, and mm-hmm. one of my favorite Burt Bacharach tunes, Shirley Bassey singing, I'll never fall in love again. 
And also, I mean, uh, this clip that I've shared, which I'm going to have to put on our Instagram, is Shirley Bassey singing on the Ed Sullivan Show. And it's always just so great to hear Ed Sullivan introduce someone. From Wales, here is our star, Shirley Bassey. And she just comes out banging. And at the end of the performance, she just does this little hand wave and looks away. And it's iconic. If and when I do drag again, this is absolutely going to be my performance. Thank you for listening to us, and until next time, kiss kiss, bang bang. That's what you get for all your